I'm Aaron Hinkin. This is the Maryland Curiosity Bureau. Hey, my name is Michael Shank, and what I want to know today is how is projected sea level rise going to impact Baltimore? Michael, what's got you curious? Why, why do you want to know? Well, I've been in Baltimore for a while, but I'm starting to put down deeper roots. Had a child recently and bought a house, and I'm concerned about not only my future, but my kids' future as well. It's an excellent question. I'm going to see what I can figure out for you. Thanks. Well, it turns out there is someone in Baltimore City government whose job is to monitor and react to sea level rise, among other environmental concerns. There's a whole department, in fact. I'm Lisa McNeely, the Director of Sustainability for the City of Baltimore. Director McNeely has a staff of nine. Their office has been around since 2007. They work on issues like green schools, urban agriculture, forest conservation, climate change, and sea level rise. And we take that very seriously. Sea level rise is not a new concern for Baltimore. All you need to do is go and look at the floodgate out at Fort McHenry. Since 1900, we've seen that sea level rise has already risen by over a foot there. We think it might be another one and a half to three feet in the coming decades that we'll see at sea level rise. And every inch matters. This is Ben Grumbles, secretary of the Maryland Department of the Environment. He chairs the state's Climate Change Commission. Secretary Grumble supervises monitoring stations along Maryland's more than 3,000 miles of coastline. And he says the state is definitely getting warmer, wetter, and wilder. The greatest threat we face when it comes to property and lives is, is flooding. That, that's pretty clear for the mid-Atlantic region and, and Maryland. What that means for Baltimore, Director McNeely says, is that more water comes in at the bay, and more and more often the city is experiencing what it calls nuisance flooding. Although I worry that it's going to become more than a nuisance in the future. A couple of years ago, Baltimore set a record for having 12 days of this kind of nuisance flooding, which goes beyond water lapping up onto the steps of the Inner Harbor. It gets elevated up to, you know, maybe blocking streets, um, city resources to clean up after it and to address any of those traffic issues. And in the future, we know that it will then impact buildings. Uh, at some point. If you trace out the decade-over-decade projections for sea level rise ahead of us, Secretary Grumble says we're looking at more than just sandbags after rainstorms. Substantial chunks of the city's infrastructure are going to need to be relocated and rebuilt. The sidewalks will need to move, the streets will need to move, the pipes, the sewer lines, the traffic, but it's um, there's a lot of opportunity to adapt to that and to make it high quality and and absolutely uh, still a really important investment worth protecting. Baltimore is a port city. This is Brad Rogers. He heads up an organization called the South Baltimore Gateway Partnership. To this day, you have large industrial facilities, you have hospitals, you have neighborhoods all crowded up against the water, even though, as all the scientific literature projects, The whole trajectory of where the climate is going is putting our neighborhoods in South Baltimore in peril. And that's why we're working very hard to protect them now before it's too late. So what the South Baltimore Gateway Partnership does is it's actually an economic development authority that gets about $7 million a year in allocations from local casinos. And they put that money to work to improve 15 neighborhoods around South and Southwest Baltimore, including Federal Hill and Riverside on the east, 
across through the stadium area to Pigtown and Carroll Park on the west, and then down through Westport, Lakeland, Cherry Hill on the south. For these neighborhoods around the middle branch of the Patapsco River, sea level rise and flooding are not an abstraction. They're already disrupting civic life on a more and more frequent basis. Rogers says, just go to the Brooklyn neighborhood on a rainy day and have a look at the intersection of Frankfurt Avenue and Hanover Street. That intersection will flood. It will be six inches deep with water, which is an inconvenience and a problem unless you're, let's say, trying to get to the hospital in an ambulance because you're going to uh, MedStar Harbor Hospital, which you can see from that intersection. But that intersection is the only way to get from from neighborhoods to the south, from northern Arundel County up to the hospital. And so we're trying to prevent a future in which hospital ambulances have to take a four-mile detour to wrap around and get to the emergency room when people are in peril. That's the type of future we're trying to fight. That fight is underway now in the form of a multi-million dollar project called the Reimagine Middle Branch Initiative. It's poised to build 11 miles of natural resiliency features wrapping all the way around Cherry Hill in Brooklyn to Westport to around the casino all the way to Port Covington. And this project is certainly one of the largest urban ecosystem restorations in the country. It's certainly the most significant environmental justice project in the country. And it is a profoundly important resiliency project that is going to show how cities can use nature-based infrastructure to protect themselves from climate change. As of right now, the South Baltimore Gateway Partnership has raised about $15 million, and the first part of their plan is to rebuild a major wetland. This is restoring a wetland uh, right near that intersection, in fact, that I happened to mention earlier, to protect that very intersection and make sure that cars and ambulances can get up to the hospital. We're building a large new wetland area that replaces wetlands that were destroyed over time by dredging and industry. And we're going to be putting it back the way it used to be, not just a bathtub with a steep cliff where you go from filled in soil to water that's too deep, but all those little gradients, which are where not only you get profound benefits for protecting against storm damage, but you also generate the habitat that feeds the fish that forms the foundation of the ecosystem. So that project is already underway, fully funded, and the group has lined up another $7 million to build a similar wetland in front of Harbor Hospital. And then we are a finalist out of 1,200 initial applicants. We are among 22 finalists to receive $32 million from the Federal Emergency Management Administration to build more wetlands and berms uh, in the parking lot surrounding Harbor Hospital and in front of BGE Spring Gardens campus. And if we can make all that happen, you will see it in the next five years. This is not 30 years of planning. All of that will be done in the next five years. It's interesting to hear you talk about the fact that FEMA, the Federal Emergency Management Agency, is putting that kind of money behind proactive, future-looking environmental protection work as opposed to just showing up to deal with disasters after they already happen. Is that a, a new direction for them? This is something that people across the board in emergency preparedness are realizing, that it is much easier to prevent 
of future loss than it is to pick up the pieces after something terrible has happened. Because the costs are tremendous when you lose neighborhoods, when bridges flood out, when hospitals are inaccessible, when utilities are taken down. All of that becomes a terrible and hugely expensive Humpty Dumpty to put back together again. It's in fact much better to protect yourself against those problems before they happen. Look, I'm going to be completely honest with you here, listeners, and tell you this topic of sea level rise completely stresses me out. I suspect that I'm not alone. And you know, honestly, people like me are part of the problem. Psychologically shutting down and burying your head in the sand and avoiding the reality obviously not a successful strategy for solving the problem. But when I was talking with Brad Rogers, he managed to find a couple of silver linings. Number one, sea level rise is actually happening pretty slowly, at least slowly enough for us to solve it with multiple iterations of plans over multiple generations. So this is not something where, like in a dystopic science fiction movie, we're going to wake up underwater. The second thing we have going for us is that Baltimore is not Miami Beach, and it is not a flat strip of sand inches above the water. We have all kinds of reasons why we're going to be better positioned than other places. That said, it's still going to be a real problem, and it's not something that anybody can take lightly. So while I discourage people from throwing up their hands in despair and saying, there's nothing we can do, we're all going to wake up in scuba gear tomorrow, it is equally irresponsible to say it's no big deal and we shouldn't take care of it. These are real neighborhoods. This is our real economy. We really have to figure this out. Brad, it's also a big deal, I'm going to guess, that this South Baltimore middle branch of the Patapsco area is in the running for all of this attention and all of this money because this is a part of the city that has been on the short end of the stick in terms of environmental justice in years past. Let me just ask you to talk about that Venn diagram of environmental science, political power, and money, and how that mix has panned out in terms of environmental justice or not for South Baltimore over the past few years. Well, really, it's South Baltimore over generations. If you look at questions like where incinerators have been cited, it is not an accident and does not require kooky conspiracy thinking to see why Cherry Hill was burdened with an incinerator and a dump for dumping all of that ash for 30 years. And why when that municipal incinerator was replaced, it ended up in Westport. These are communities of color that have been burdened by not only the classic toxic air, toxic water issues of environmental justice. They've also been burdened by our infrastructure. They've been cut off from their own waterfront by roads and highways and railroad tracks. And so part of this work is not just protecting those neighborhoods from storms and not just encapsulating any contaminated settlements so it's safe to get down to the water. It's about providing access and ownership and belonging so that a neighborhood like Cherry Hill or Westport can say, this is our waterfront. We are proud to belong here. 
and we are proud to invite the rest of the city to join us in what makes us special. In the same way that Kenton or Fells Point or any other neighborhood is able to do that. Brad Rogers of the South Baltimore Gateway Partnership. After the break, we're going to widen our lens and talk more about environmental justice in South Baltimore with the leader of a group of residents who are demanding accountability and a voice in the process. You're listening to the Maryland Curiosity Bureau. More in a moment. I am Melanie Thomas. I'm the executive director of the South Baltimore Community Land Trust. And we got together through um, uniting as a community around control of what was happening in our environment. There was another proposal for another incinerator to be in our community. We already have two in the community. And, you know, through this advocacy and organizing effort, we were able to expose the true effects of incineration and how harmful it is to the lives of the residents and people that are close in close proximity to the facility. We just stood up and we said, you know what, enough is enough. So long story short, (laughs) that is how we got involved. Um, It really started from just a concern for our lives and our human rights that were being violated. And we realized that, um, We can't control what we don't own. So community ownership is key. And we um, used and and thought of the land trust as a tool to be able to help us get to where we need to go with ownership in the community. Let me just back up with you and have you talk about your neighborhood, where you live, where it is in Baltimore, what the neighborhood's like, and um, just sort of paint a picture of where you are and and the, the neighborhood that you're advocating for. So I currently reside in the community of Curtis Bay. It's a beautiful community in South Baltimore. But when I came here, I realized that we really paid the brunt of the pollution, industrial pollution. We, our community carries all of that. It's an over-concentration in our community where we have two um, incinerators in close proximity, a medical waste incinerator, the city's worst air polluter, the Bresco incinerator, which burns our trash. A lot of people say they know they're in Curtis Bay by the smell. There is this this smell. There's a another chemical company that, you know, burns carcasses and that smell just radiates <laughs> through the community. Sometimes it is really unbearable. Um, but through all of that negativity, there's still so much strength in our community and you know, we continue to advocate for what our community needs, um, which are truly a, a fighting chance. We need some greener alternatives um, to the industry that's that's plaguing our community and harming our human rights and the right to breathe clean air. Melanie, in addition to those challenges that you've um, laid out, your neighborhood, Curtis Bay, is low-lying waterfront neighborhood, our listener this week specifically asked about sea level rise and how projected sea level rise could impact Baltimore. Talk about Mm -hmm. what you see in uh, your neighborhood with periodic flooding. Is that a growing threat? 
It definitely is a growing threat. Um, there are certain streets in the neighborhood that flood every single time there is a, a downpour of rain. And um, we've seen many cars underwater as a result of that. So it definitely is. And we're right on the waterfront. So it's definitely a huge concern for our community. Um, when you talk about, you know, the sea level rise, we know that global warming is here, right? We are in the midst of it. And we have to, as a community, as people, as um, elected officials, citizens, we all have to take responsibility for the way we treat our planet. Melanie, I understand you, your organization has partnered in some way with the South Baltimore Gateway Partnership in uh, securing some serious grant money to shore up your neighborhood and make environmental improvements in the years ahead. What's what's that going to look like? What do you want to see happen? Um, what we want to see happen um, through the grant that the South Baltimore Gateway Partnership is is leading is um, for the residents to be part of that dialogue, right? We want to continue to see community involvement in some of these decision-making and how it affects the community, because that's something that has often been neglected. So we would love to see you know, the community be part of that. And then it's important too to also look at not just sea level rise, but our homes, greenhouse gases. Our homes are emitters of greenhouse gases as well. And thinking about the way that we build, the way we do construction. And that's why at South Baltimore Land Trust, our, our mission and our um, model is to, to lead development without displacement and a just transition to zero waste. So we are leading the development of permanently affordable housing where the subsidy remains with the home and um, current renters that feel they would not otherwise be qualified for affordable housing um, would be able to, to get housing. We're talking about people, our working class, our grocery store managers, our teachers, you know, people that are earning um, $50,000 and below um, to be able to have an opportunity to build equity in a community that they love, in a community that they've endured hardship and suffering and been exposed to so much, right? As the community begins to clean up and as these um, the waterfront partnerships and all these different developments come into play, we don't want to create things where we're enforcing and encouraging displacement, but we want to create an environment where we're allowing our residents and people that have that have toiled in the community for so long and endured all of the suffering to be able to enjoy all of that. Melanie Thomas is the executive director of the South Baltimore Community Land Trust. All right, we're going to circle back now to our listener who asked this week's question, Michael Shank. Your question about sea level rise opened out into a much larger conversation about environmental justice, environmental access, human rights, what are you left thinking here at the end of this episode? Well, yeah, I have some mixed thoughts, really. I, there's some optimistic uh, things that uh, we heard from experts who are enthusiastic about their work, and their words were reassuring, relatively. I uh, think that uh, if we can sort of combat some of that hopelessness and defeatism with uh, some incremental changes and get the news out about what is being done. Because I hadn't heard about all those programs and um, plans for like the wetlands. Like that's exciting stuff and it makes me feel better. On the other hand, I do worry about 
our priorities in general with the funding that we have, where we're spending a lot more on in other places than on conservation and preparedness. But at the same time, one thing that I really appreciate uh, hearing was an emphasis on environmental justice, where it's not just the wealthy areas of the cities that are being, you know, considered when we plan for the future. Um, yeah, and also, you know, I didn't buy a house in South Baltimore, but I think it's really great that, you know, those areas that will be impacted are focused on and what's good for South Baltimore is good for all of Baltimore, I believe. Michael Shank, I want to thank you for uh, an excellent question. I, I learned a lot this episode. I did as well. Thank you. That is going to wrap it up for this week's episode. Thanks to Michael Shank for his question this week. And thanks to all of you who've clicked on to the Maryland Curiosity Bureau website and uh, hit me up with questions of your own. You can put me to work on your question at wypr.org slash curiosity. What are we going to learn next? That, my friends, is entirely up to you. The Maryland Curiosity Bureau is an original production of WYPR in Baltimore. I'm Aaron Henkin. Stay curious, be in touch, and we'll do it again next week. The Maryland Curiosity Bureau is made possible with grant support from the Peel Center for Baltimore History and Architecture. Online at thepeelcenter.org. 